Welcome to Across the Pond, a Christian commentary on the way of Jesus in the world today with the co-founders of Red Letter Christians, Dr. Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. Red Letter Christians gets its name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red, and we are aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. Some episodes of this podcast have been adapted from our radio show, Across the Pond, which airs on Sunday afternoons in the UK on Premier Radio. Thank you for listening. Let's jump into this week's episode with Shane Claiborne. Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and the name of the show is Across the Pond. Uh, I'm over here in the United States, and we're talking about how our faith connects to the world that we're living in. Because for too long, we Christians have been pretty good at using our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world that we're living in right now. And so we, we, um, you know, talk about the big issues that are going on in our world. And our worlds aren't that different across the pond over here here in the U.S. and the things that are happening in in the U.K. and other countries around the world. And I get to have a lot of friends and guests, people that I love and admire and get to team up with uh, on the show a lot. And there's not anybody I could be more excited to talk to than who we've got today. So this is a real treat, y'all. We've got Jamar Tisby. What's up? But Jamar has written all kinds of stuff. He's he's an incredible thinker and leader. Uh, One of the books that's bestseller everywhere is The Color of Compromise. And a more recent book that he did, uh, How to Fight Racism, is is amazing. Honestly, Jamar, I don't have your books here because I keep giving them away. (laughs) Hey, that's a good problem. (laughs) <laughs> but we, we've talked a few times we've teamed up on things we've been kind of calling out the the real toxic christian nationalism over here you and i teamed up to uh, with a bunch of other authors to our concerns about a, a patriotic bible that was going to have the yeah. u.s founding documents with the bible just a little mm. american apocrypher on there right <laughs> exactly exactly but uh what are you doing right now before we get into your other stuff you, you oh, you're writing man. and speaking doing all kinds of stuff i bet right it's, it's, it's an exciting season of life. I've, it, 2021 has been huge transitions for me. So I founded an organization called The Witness Incorporated. Uh, folks can check that out if you go to thewitnessinc.com, thewitnessinc.com. But I actually stepped down from my day-to-day role in that uh, organization to take up a new role at the Center for Anti-Racist Research, which concluded after five months when I decided it just wasn't the right fit for me. And so the past several months, um, if if you're a glass half full kind of person, uh, you say I'm a free agent right now. The glass half empty is right. like I'm unemployed. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm keeping plenty busy, man. I'm really focusing on my writing. The other uh, way folks can check out my work is uh, subscribing to my newsletter, free or paid, jamartisby.substack.com, jamartisby.substack.com. So, man, I'm working on the, the uh, another book deal. Hopefully, that'll come through in the next few weeks as we record this. And uh, yeah, just just trying to continue the work utilizing all the incredible platforms. You know, we are in this incredible age. Yeah, we yeah, can yeah. do radio, we can do video, we can do podcasts, we can do online events, just trying to utilize all these tools. You know, so, so it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, the Gutenberg press now, <laughs> it, it, which is allowing us to, to share 
hopefully helpful wisdom, knowledge, and insights in a variety of media and form. So, so I'm just trying to leverage that and, and see what, what, what's next for me. It's totally it, man. And what a, what a wild time to be alive. You know, you think of how those technologies like the printing press and now the, the internet and stuff is, um, and I mean, all of it can be used for good and bad, you know, just like a yep. hammer, but it's amazing, man, yep. to see like we, we, uh, for y'all that ha- you may not have connected to red letter Christians. Um, we did Jamar's book, um, well, actually, I've, I read both of them, but we we talked about especially the color of compromise, which even if you're outside the U.S., I mean, you know, racism and and the slave trade, everything that we've done has so many marks. Colonization has, you know, marks everywhere. Jamar, I was just reading um, or, or Katie and I have been watching The Crown a little bit and um, that the, the series on Netflix. And um, but I've been over the UK a bunch. And I'm sure you have, too. I've even been to Lambeth Palace with the, you know, Archbishop Justin uh, Welby over there. But one of Look, the things I have not <laughs> been, I have not been to We're the UK going, at man. all, bro. Oh, oh, we got to go together, man. <laughs> we got to go. I'm there. You just name the time. I'm there. I'm so ready. And anybody who, you know, we could do a pop-up event, whatever it is, man. Uh, That's I'm it, not, dude. So, All right. So, so now you got to get some invitations. Y'all got to invite Jamar <laughs> over there. Bring me. I'll bring his bags. I'll do the dishes, whatever, man. But here's the deal is, you know, the, the population, the non-white population, okay, I understand, is around 30%. But you look at the wow. institutions, right? Yeah. The institutions reflect some of those those uh, systems of, of uh, whiteness, right? So the House of Lords, I think, is like less than 3 percent uh anything oh, other than white you know and and uh, uh i think the like the political leaders are around six percent uh uh like not you know folks that are not white uh, uh are not reflected in some of the systems and structures of course we saw all that with the like royal wedding Woo! that that uh interview on oprah and stuff right oh god you know yeah. but but you know there's some people there's some something new happening I, I was just talking on this show actually with bishop mike royal who's an uh, incredible dude and um uh, he was talking about how when george floyd happened they led marches in the uk and mm-hmm. we saw mar- marches all over the world and so maybe just let's start by thinking about man what is happening you know as we're trying to interpret mm-hmm. the times you know for for such a time as this and, and think about what does it mean to be the people of Christ right now? I mean, it seems like an amazing moment, right? It, it really is. Uh, it sounds audacious to say, but I'm increasingly convinced that we are living in the civil rights movement of our generation. And and I, I, I don't mean that hyperbolically. I mean, in the same way in the U.S. that we look back at the, the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, should the Lord tarry 30, 40 years from now, we'll be looking back at the 2010s and 20s in the same way, we'll have, you know, the leaders and the speeches and the events and the organizations uh, that that we'll look back and reflect on. And so that's from one level, but I think sort of on a spiritual level, what's happening is a realignment in the church, certainly in the U.S., but I, I think this is probably true in places around the globe as well, of people rethinking the church. And, and, and I don't mean that in a, a way that is meant to sort of undermine the faith in general, right? Yeah. But looking at the the influence of, of culture and personalities and ideologies in ways that have been harmful to the witness of the church mm-hmm. and of Christians mm-hmm. and saying, wait a minute, hold up. This, this, isn't, this doesn't match up with what uh, I know about Christ from the word or from what it means to love God and love neighbor as yourself. So that is happening along several vectors, this mm-hmm. realignment. One is the Me Too slash Church Too movement, where people are looking at uh, patriarchy and misogyny in the churches, where people are looking at 
uh, protection of abusers and the silencing of victims. That's one vector. Another vector, uh, which is what I focus on, is, is on the racial justice. And, yeah. and certainly in 2020, we saw this massive uprising in the U.S. and really around the globe uh, around George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and people saying, look, the church has been complicit for far too long, and that's not the kind of church I want to be part of or represent. So what does it look like to be a church that is, as King would say, the headlight and not the taillight Come on. of yes. uh, the movement? And so, you know, I think here's one thing that I think we need to correct in our thinking is yeah. we keep wait. I, I think I think we sort of have in the back of our minds that the movement is going to be massive in terms of a massive number of people. And when you look back at history, I study race, religion, and social movements. When you look back at social movements, it's never a majority. Mm, it's mm. always a, a, a small group of people at the vanguard who say the status quo is unjust. We need to disrupt it. We need to change it. We need to, we need to um, purify the church in the best sense of the word and be more like Jesus. And these trailblazers who could be listening right now um, are the ones who help other people in the majority sort of wake up and I don't mean the yeah, racial majority, yeah. I just mean the majority of people, right? There have got to be some folks who dive in first. And what we need to correct about our thinking is that that's ever going to be a big group. So if you're looking mm -hmm. around your faith community or even your, your, your um, you know, local community and waiting for the, the big hundreds or thousands of people, it may not be that. It could be, but mm -hmm. it may not be that. And let's not wait on justice for other people to get on board, but, but pursue it simply because it's the right thing to do with the hope that that um, God will awaken others to begin following and joining along the way. I know that's right. Good things can happen with 12 <laughs> or, or, or less, right? You, Rosa Parks sitting on that bus and you know that that's the right. courage is contagious, you know, like uh, right. Colin Kaepernick, you think of Bree Newsom who took down the Confederate flag in South Carolina, you know, these, yeah. the, like these, these acts of courage, they can be small and, you know, hardly anybody paying attention and then they begin to stir and they, they make other people more courageous, right? That. To speak courage out where they contagious. are, right? Yes, courage is so contagious. When you're looking at, uh, I mean, we're coming out of the back of the the trial, right? Of the the men who who uh, killed uh, Ahmad Arbery and and uh, with a Confederate flag on the front of the pickup truck, yeah. right? And they were convicted of murder. And there's there's a lot of different feelings, right? I feel like, well, I mean, real justice would be Ahmad Arbery alive, right? Uh, nothing right. brings him back. I mean, we're not fighting for white supremacists just to go to jail. We're fighting for, you know, people not to get killed. Right? That's right. We're That's like, right. And and yet, like, there is something that goes, man, it is, 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 is there a tipping point here? Is something changing, you know? And then, you know, I, I have such a mixed feeling because then you go, if we, if we didn't have a video of that thing, <laughs> right? If we didn't yeah. have a video of George Floyd and how many other stories don't have it on, on videotape and, and, you know, could mm -hmm. we get justice without mm -hmm. the kind of um, that, that movement behind it? But I don't know how, what, what are you feeling right now on your soul? Are you feeling like, um, yeah. And so what can many. we do to keep it moving? Right. <laughs> right, right, right. So with Ahmad Arbery, you know, it was a modern day lynching. I mean, they targeted yeah. this man, they profiled him, they hunted him down and, and killed. And um, you're right. Justice would be, you don't have the racial profile. That somebody like Ahmad Arbery, a person of any race or ethnicity, can go jogging whatever neighborhood and be safe, right? That's 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 real justice, and that's what yeah. we're pursuing. Uh, activists have 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 distinguished uh, between justice and accountability, which yeah, I find helpful. So so yeah, justice would be Ahmad Arbery and others still breathe, but there is accountability that comes with the conviction. And um, here's a here's a, a a thing a pastor friend of mine said. Uh, he's always focused on the local church and how you shepherd people through things like this. And, you know, guys like me and racial justice advocate, I'm 
sort of quick to say, you know, yeah, that's good, but, you know, it's not this, that, or the other. And, and, and one thing that I think we need to be aware of, pastorally speaking, caring for people speaking, is for Ahmaud Arbery's family, this is really... Yeah. And, and, and if any people know that it's not sufficient, it's them because they mm-hmm. knew Ahmad, right? They, they loved him, cared for him. But his own mother, uh, the conviction came, I think, the day before Thanksgiving in the U.S. His mother said she had a lot to be thankful for. So yeah. let's not, in our sort of critical minds, uh, leap over the fact that for the people who are most directly impacted, the family and friends of the victim, this does bring a matter, measure of peace, a measure of uh, thanksgiving for yeah. that being said. My other thoughts are, um, one is that it was so interesting that the tactic of the lawyers who were who were trying to secure the conviction was to downplay the racial aspect, was, was not to foreground, right? Like we all know, uh, because Ahmad Arbery Black, that raised the threat level in the minds of his killer, right? Yeah. He was automatically suspect because of, so we know it was racially motivated, but their strategy in the courtroom was not to make it about race and to make it more about individual freedom and whether this was self-defense and things like that. So isn't it telling, isn't mm-hmm. it very tell that in order to secure a conviction for a racially motivated crime, they actually took pains not to foreground the racial aspect because they thought that would be detrimental to the case. So yeah. what I'm saying is we still can't address the, the, the racism and the white supremacy head on yeah. in this system because there are so many people who say, oh, it's not about race or you can't convict on that, right? It's still so hard to prove in a court of law. And the last thing I'll say, uh, activists often say it's not the criminal justice system because there's justice is so often thwarted in the system. Rather, they call it the criminal legal system. Uh, and they're saying, yes, there are laws, but that doesn't automatically make their um, existence or application just. So yeah, I think that's a helpful distinction. That's right. Hey, y'all, let me just uh, stop for a second to say thanks for joining us. Uh, the name of the show here is Across the Pond, and you've been listening to Jamar Tisby, who I, I think is uh, one, just a, a friend that I, I love being with anytime we can in any fashion. So being on this radio show is awesome, but it's also Jamar is one of the most important and most prominent leaders uh, right now, I think, in the U.S., and increasingly around the world. And he just said he would love to be over there in the UK anytime. So that's right. <laughs> but let's talk about this a little bit, man, because, you know, it's easy for other countries to look at the US and be like, at least we're not that bad, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but that, that's not where we want to put the, the, the bar, you know, we don't want to put right. the bar down. So, but, you know, as you look at, as I look at the UK, um, I think there's all kinds of forms that systemic injustice has, right? Um, the, 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 the kind of residue of history that we see, and we see it in the U.S., you know, in everything, like our school system, uh, wage disparities, uh, the, obviously mm. the prison system, you know, like uh, uh, even, even things like the Freakonomic studies that give identical resumes, right? Where uh, on one resume, the name's a white sounding name, right? And then on the other one, it's not. So it's like Matthew and Mohammed, you know, or <laughs> Shannon and Shaniqua. And over and over, it's the Jasons that get the job over Jaquil uh, when it's the exact same thing, only the name. So, you know, as we kind of like step back, you do great work on this in your book, Color Compromise, just talking about how we can't get our future right until we get our history right, until we do some of this work uh to, to do a better job at telling history. And that, that's what we're in the middle of right now too with culture yeah. wars in the US, right? The critical race theory that really just kind of a uh, shiny object distraction from talking about the, the real stuff. But um, uh, give us a few pointers, especially for folks that might be outside the US of, of how we can um, heal some of those wounds in our past. So much of what we take 
as a given, as the status quo. It has a history. Historians say everything has a history. In seminary, we had courses on historical theology, the development of doctrines. And when you start to dig into the history, you see how so much isn't written in stone, isn't inevitable, but it was the result of particular choices that individual actors or groups made, and they could have made different choices. This is the idea of contingency in history. And so uh, a, a, a connection to the UK, one of the early, one of, one of the things before I wrote The Color of Compromise that, that sort of uh, led to the idea of the book, I was in Williamsburg, Virginia, a colonial Williamsburg. And this was a place that was colonized by the British. And in 1667, a group of Anglican men, the Virginia Assembly, they were all Anglican men, but they were part of the Virginia Assembly, uh, the legislative body of the colony at the time. And they made a law that said baptism would not emancipate an enslaved person of African descent Native American descent or mixed race. Mm. Now that stopped me in my track because what's happening here? You have this group of white Christian men making a law about religion based on race, right? Mm. So, so, so now you have race, religion, and politics all intertwined, which we can talk about them separately for sure. We can study them separately, but they're they're really inseparable, right? Yeah. And 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 it starts to clue us in to the racialization of religion, that Christianity in uh, the UK and, and colonists' minds was linked to whiteness, first yeah. Europeanness, then, then to whiteness, right? Yeah. And, and, and when you go back and you learn that history, you, you start to see the trajectory that got us here today. Another uh, common phrase is that 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Well, it didn't have to be. Yeah. And there, there, were, there were laws like that 1867 law that set us on a trajectory. And, and, and what that does, the reason I wrote a book like The Color of Compromise about history is really not about the past. It's about the present and the future of the church. So good. Yeah. I wanted the weight of history to compel us to act. As MLK said in his I Have a Dream speech, he called it the fierce urge of now. Woo! And I wanted that pressure from all the ways that we got it wrong on race in the past to compel us to action in the present. Yeah, come on, man. So we we, we got like a few minutes left and I, we're going to do this again, man, because I know people are going to want more. And I, <laughs> I, I talk want too more. long. I'm no, sorry. No, no, you don't, man. You don't. You ever, it's gems in there. And, you know, in your book, one of the things you talk about, Al, is how, you know, Dr. King called this a like a festering wound, right? Our history yep, of yep, racism yep. is like an untreated festering wound. And so part of what we got to do is do a better job at telling history. And we're just getting to the point of the truth telling, right? right, right, We just got um, the monument of Nathan Bedford Forrest out of the capital of Tennessee. And he was one of the founders of the KKK. So, I mean, it's just like, this is a low bar, right? Like we we just like just starting to tell the truth. But I mean, I even heard stories that kind of romanticized. Well, you know, like John Newton that wrote Amazing Grace. And I always heard, well, he was a slave trader that renounced slavery. And you go back and you dig a little deeper and you're like, I wish that was the way. I mean, he kind of had this slow conversion, right? And and he never really like came out like I would want 
want him to, you know, right, but he did right. write Amazing Grace. But like we, we kind of romanticize him and, and the church, you know, I, I want to talk about the church in the last few minutes that we have, because you would hope that we would be the, what'd you say, MLK is like the headlights, not the backlights, yeah. you know, that we would be leading the way in some of this. And there are places that we are. I mean, I think right. that, uh, you know, I mean, so much of the church outside of white evangelicalism is really on the forefront of the prophetic mm. witness in the streets right now. You see that, I see that, but um, some of our denominations literally were founded because they were on the wrong side of slavery and right. Southern mm -hmm. Baptist Convention, our biggest, you know, Protestant denomination. And some of them have issued little statements of apology, but you point out really well that there's a difference between apology and repentance and repentance begins to repair and heal the wounds and the ways that we reckon with how we benefited from yeah. uh, that oppression. Right. So what are some places that you see, um, you know, signs of hope or, or where are you finding some spiritual life outside of the funk? <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the scriptures, obviously it, it, it seems so obvious, but, but, but actually uh, I think it's, it's, it's quite subversive when we sort of go back to Jesus's words and Jesus's example and, and see the way that he upset the religious establishment. That can prove so inspirational if we read it in this, you know, 21st century context. And it's, it's in the midst of us sort of questioning um, the status quo and the ways it may be really unjust and unhelpful to certain people. And, and, and specifically what I mean is when Jesus talks about uh, new wine for new wine. And, mm. and, and, and to the folks listening, I just think asking the Holy Spirit, this is a time of incredible creativity and innovation in the church. And what can happen is we start to say, well, the church isn't encapsulated in a denomination or even a particular congregation. I'm not discounting the importance of institutions at all. I'm just saying that if we start, if we remember that the church is actually the people of God, then, oh my, oh what, my. what can we do? You know, yeah, so yeah, so yeah. I, I what gives me hope is the creativity and the imagination that people are employing, um, yeah, yeah. gathering online and uh, forming new communities and finding new ways to pursue justice. Uh, and that's not uh, in conflict with pursuing Jesus as part and parcel of pursuing Jesus. That's what's really inspiring. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, this half hour flew by. We're almost out of time. We're going to do it again. And y'all got to make sure you check out Jamar's work, especially if you're if you're new to Jamar Tisby. Woo, you are in for a treat. So check out his books, Color Compromise, How to Fight Racism, all the other articles he's written. You got, you got some of the stuff at redletterchristians.org too, because we love them. Um, but I want to say this just in closing too, Jamar, because you were kind of pointing to it. For folks, there's a lot of deconstructing going on. There's a lot of people that are leaving stuff and you've encouraged people, you know, especially folks that find themselves toxic, oppressive religion to leave loudly. But I want to say that once you leave some of the worst versions of Christianity, that's not the end. That, that might just be the beginning of a better, That's more right. robust faith. And, you know, Jamar's words, uh, Jesus was spinning it all on his head. I mean, he was saying to the teachers of the law and the scholars, you know, he was saying that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are coming in ahead of you. Come on, right? The, That's right. The, the illiterate are coming in in front of, uh, in front of the, the scholars and the intellectuals. The folks that you've shut out are the folks that are entering the kingdom ahead of you. So that. come on, y'all. We got it backward. Jesus is including the excluded and challenging the chosen. So thanks mm. for joining us, my brother. Thank you, Jamar, for being the guest today, Thank man. You. We'll do it again soon. This is Shane Claiborne, and the show is Across the Pond. Thanks for joining Boom, that flew by, man.
We hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about Red Letter Christians, please visit redletterchristians.org for resources, upcoming events, and to connect with other people who are passionate about Jesus and justice. You can follow Shane Claiborne and Red Letter Christians on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you'd like to support our work with a one-time gift or by becoming a monthly sustainer of the movement, please visit our website and click on the red donate button. Thank you for tuning in.